Welcome everybody to SF Live. I'm the junior mining guy on Twitter and the CEO of the Soar Financial Group. Thank you so much for joining us. It is much appreciated. And uh, we have another fantastic guest on the show today. Uh, he's European based. He's actually German. Uh, he's based in Switzerland, but we're going to speak English. not going to be a German speaking interview, but uh, maybe as a heads up, like I've tried it myself. It usually works quite well. YouTube offers a function where you can actually press uh, CC and it offers you subtitles and you can actually choose the language you want to listen or read uh, the interview in. So that, that works quite well. So please go ahead and do that because we're, we're going to speak English. It's the international money uh, language of money and policies, I guess. So uh, we, we'll have to do that. And uh, before I bring my guest on, it's Professor Dr. Thorsten Denning, by the way. He's an economics a professor for economics here in Germany and also the CIO of Asset Management Switzerland AG. And uh, we, we have some fantastic questions lined up, a conversation lined up about money, gold, Bitcoin, the recession and the recession versus commodities energy versus monetary policies and we're trying to squeeze that all into 25 minutes so lot, lots to discuss and uh, you know what follow us on youtube follow us on twitter hit that like and subscribe button if you love those conversations uh we hope it's educational that's the whole point we hope you uh, to you can broaden your horizon and just make better investment decisions in general and uh, we hope it's helpful so leave, leave a comment we want to hear from you and uh, enough said it's time to welcome torsten here on the screen it's great to see you again my friend Thanks, Kai. Happy to be here again. Yeah, the last we spoke was in May, so it's uh, it's already been a while. Like it was at our Deutsche Goldmesse here in Frankfurt. Uh, it's long overdue that we catch up because a lot has happened over the last few months. Exactly. Yeah, when you look across assets, there's a lot of blood in the street, but uh, you always see when there are like uh, lots of interesting opportunities looking forward as well, considering the right allocation and considering the right uh, timing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's talk about co commodities in, in, in a recessionary environment. I think that's a really interesting topic because you spoke in May. It's like, oh, the time of commodities is coming. We'll need it for the green energy revolution and everything. And since then, pretty much the copper price, for example, like Dr. Copper, one of the leading indicators for the economy, went from like $5 a pound to right now $345, $350 a pound. Um, how are commodities impacted and uh, when will they turn around? Yeah, looking at commodities as an asset class, I think uh, most of the investors are, are very happy uh, as long as we didn't put like one or two single commodities out of the basket. Because uh, looking at end of August uh, uh, schedule for all the asset classes, you see equities down 20 to 30 percent, uh, American market, NASDAQ 30 percent down. You see the bond market down 20 percent. You see real estate, uh, not only the, the REITs down, you see also real estate prices coming down. You see gold down to 6% yet uh, in a, in a one-year um, horizon, and you see Bitcoin down 50%. So the only thing that is sticking out positively is still is the commodity sector. So commodities measured by the Bloomberg Commodity Index or the S&P GSCI Commodity Index, uh, so a little bit more energy-weighted or like a broad diversified commodity basket, they are up 35 to 40% still. So there's the only diversification benefit for investors in 2022. So therefore, I stand with this uh, thing that commodities uh, are the place to be, even in this recessionary environment that we see today. Copper, you're right. Copper was a big retrace on that, but it was outpaced, for example, by the energy sector. When you see that net gas prices spiking, electricity prices spiking, um, and good old crude oil huh? up and running. Good old crude oil, absolutely. <laughs> uh, definitely the the one commodity we're desperately trying to replace, obviously, with copper and uh, and, and other like energy metals as well. Um, as I said, copper down at three fifty, but uh, 
with the energy revolution that we're trying to push through right now, like how much of uh, recessionary pressure is weighing on Dr. Copper and uh, like how, how much forward looking is copper right now? I, I keep using it as a key indicator, by the way. It's uh, still in the role of a key indicator for the overall economy. And of course, the overall economy faces some serious uh, threats in the moment based on the supply issues from key commodities from Russia, uh, as well as from other um, regions in regard to the supply chain issues that we're facing. But this is like the energy, this is like some uh, some special materials as well. This is also a more European than like a global scheme on that one. Uh, copper at 350 definitely in the long term is too cheap in regard to that. And you see probably um, the last corporate action by Rio Tinto uh, buying in Turqua Hill um, a couple of, uh, yeah, you can still say a couple of hours ago released on that. Um, so copper and copper related investments are still a very good place to be. But broad commodity exposure was a good place, not only in the beginning and first half of this year, but looking forward as well, because uh, Crude, we're trying to reduce it, we're trying to replace it um, through uh, electronic you know, energy revolution, for example. Uh, but of course, the, the oil age will not end by the lack of oil, um, as uh, Saudi Arabia once put it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I don't think we'll ever get independent from oil. That's uh, almost impossible, I think. I, you mentioned in one of your presentations that like, we're in an oil economy. Like, What, what was the word you used? You used the oil Oil phonic? No, not oil phonic. You used the word in one of your presentations, if you remember. Uh, you, you know what um, I'm talking about, right? Because oil is in everything yeah, and all yeah. the plastic. I think it was about the oil addiction, yeah? About the, uh, the oil addiction of, uh, of the world in regard to, like, compared to a drug addict, uh, it's very hard to get out of the system on that uh, and, and to replace. It will take a couple of decades, yes, and it will still be there, of course, in a lower stage. No, absolutely. Like if you were to compare the commodity market with the broad market, and I, I keep coming back to copper, apologies, but uh, Dr. Copper as a leading indicator of what is to come or what is happening, how much is reflected already in the main markets if you look at what uh, where copper is trading, for example? Yeah, in terms of a um, recession or like a cooling of um, of a global economy, um, the metals reflected quite quite good, and that energy uh, energy is in the in the um, basically in the penalty box. Uh, from the one side, you have lower demand from the overall economy in terms of activities, but of course you have much lower supply uh, because uh, because of the tense situation in Ukraine and Russia. Uh, so therefore, it's um, a little bit between the sheets on, on that one. So looking at the overall economy, uh, you, you see that the interest rates are rising. This is bad for risky assets. Uh, and future earnings are discounted much uh, more, more uh, deeply. So the net present values and the, the, the prices are impacted uh, badly on the on the bond side, on the on the real estate side, and as well as on the equity side. Uh, the more growth-oriented uh, stocks will be higher. So therefore, if you're thinking that the interest rate cycle because of the overall economic situation can't match the 1970s, for example, when interest rates have been like 10 to 15%, uh, I think this is in our cycle with uh, the level of debt we're talking about not possible. Uh, then you see in several of these uh, categories very interesting investment opportunities on the sides. Oh, interesting. We need to go into depth on that. Of course, I want to learn more about like where I can put my money because I'm quite curious. Like uh, in other conversations, it was the dividend-paying stocks that we talked about. Um, but what mm -hmm. are some of the other like asset classes that you would put your money in right now? 
Yeah, I can, I can make you like a private con consultation on that one, uh, just for like a, a friends of friends prices, for example, right? No, no problem on that. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm just curious, like, how to deal with a recession right now? Like, or actually, are we even in a recession? Because I keep looking at it, it's like, and nobody really has a textbook explanation of what is happening right now, because we never had an environment where debt was so high, yet interest was somewhat low, and we were scared to raise it higher, right? Mm -hmm. Like, there's no textbook example of what to do right now. Right. And that's, that's making it uh, more thrilling because if life would uh, endlessly repeat itself, it wouldn't be like a surprise and it would be boring and it would probably bore you to death before you can allocate some money on that. Uh, but the textbook uh, definition, basically, lots of people are looking uh, first, of course, of a situation of the 1970s because you had like similarities, not only in bad clothing style and bad haircuts uh, like in the Corolla times, uh, but also in, in terms of uh, macroeconomic data. Like uh, you have uh, energy crisis, you have like a rising and high inflation, you have rising interest rates, and then you have uh, impact on economic growth. Um, uh, like uh, and that's called stagflation, yeah, stagnation uh, with inflation. And if, if you have a déjà vu now, it's intended. Uh, it's um, describing the 1970s and not the 2020s. But uh, similarities are here. Of course, there are like a, a couple of things that are different, and this is uh, interesting to to watch. I mean, gold has a different status today it has in the 70s, uh, coming uh, coming from the background as well. We have, for example, the crypto sector today. Uh, not um, not to mention that uh, this is uh, something we haven't had in the 70s as well. So, uh, different ways to to allocate money, to to see money, uh, to rescue money. Also, um, the, the government stakes and the, the geopolitical situation is a bit different. Absolutely. Yeah, it's very, very different. And uh, I'm, I'm really interesting, like how the whole internet figures into all of this as well, like the communication, how we communicate as well, because I think that's a very different concept that weighs on people's minds as well, I think, right? Um, interesting, like, we're talking lots of different things. And I think currencies are another one that sort of weigh on what, what is going on. Um, the US dollar is extremely strong, while the euro is extremely weak based on the energy policies here in the EU. And uh, how does that help the economies? Like I remember let's uh, Donald Trump saying, well, we need a weak US dollar for our economy to boom so we can bring in some more factories or bring more production back home and to work, work on American soil and make it affordable and we can use our own goods, right? Right now we have the op absolute opposite. We're trying to bring everything home, but nobody can afford it. Like how, how does that how does that look? And everybody say, look, uh, so fantastic opportunities now abroad with this current situation. It definitely makes sense to put some money into emerging market or some some other places. Um, but the dollar strength, uh, it's amazing. We, we face uh, a bit uh, of the same thing here in Switzerland, like uh, the smaller brother on that. The Swiss franc also is very, very hard and very strong in regard to euro. Uh, so it's not only euro dollar that's on parity, but also like euro Swiss franc, uh, it's on parity and below on that one. Uh, it, it's like a situation I haven't seen before. I'm now 10 years in Switzerland, and it's the first time I, I go with a, bar, uh, with a car over to Germany to fuel my car because it's cheaper on, on that one, that, or vice versa, to see like people coming to Switzerland because now it's more uh, more cheap to, to come uh, to, to buy here on the petrol station, especially after in, in Germany the, the tank robot uh, has been gone. And uh, uh, coming back to the US on, on that side, 
Um, the dollar is on the move. The dollar is strong. The dollar is moving forward on that situation. I can clearly see the dollar probably another 10 to 15% in, uh, increase against these currencies uh, because the situation in, in Euroland with, uh, um, with Eastern Europe, with Russia and Ukraine and some other issues of the um, European Union in the moment face severe difficulties on that. And also it needs to be financed in a certain way. So the debt, uh, debt and inflation outlook and macroeconomic data uh, is a bit uh, uh, in unfavor of, of the euro. Hard to say, but uh, I, it might be that we see like a euro, for example, um, dollar maybe to 0.885. Bad for traveling to the US, right? Okay. Terrible, and I need to go next week. So <laughs> I'm already I'm already dreading it. I love to go when it was dirt cheap, or even go to Canada when the exchange rate was one euro for a dollar sixty Canadian. That just made it so inexpensive to go. Now everybody's coming over here, right? It's uh, <laughs> I'm just trying to think what the implications are for the economies, right? Because if you're in the US manufacturing, you have to buy your supplies and commodities, which are now more expensive because you're buying them abroad. Right, you have to import them. Um, I'm just trying to figure out what the, what how how that whole construct is going to work because you you want cheaper because you need to stabilize the economies and that means raising your GDP. You want to reduce your debt. That means you need higher GDP as well. But it doesn't work with those weak like like how do you call those the, the currencies that are not behaving as they should, right? Yeah, you had a good, you had a good uh, thesis in a, in a book a couple of years ago uh, called World War uh, of Currencies uh, on that one. Uh, of course, like everybody is in competition to have uh, the, the cheapest currency on that uh, to, uh, to, to boost economic growth. And now with a dollar uh, that's strong, I mean, it reflects uh, the, uh, also uh, or contradicts uh, the terms to, to source uh, from home and to, uh, to, uh, to engage with uh, supply chain issues that we were facing. Uh, look at the chip industry, like the, the microchips, uh, microchips on that one, uh, like uh, building in the US what you have basically in, um, in, in Asia uh, to um, be not that much dependent on uh, Korea, Taiwan and China anymore. Uh, or like uranium, another sector that you are facing uh, supply chain issues that you would like to have for secure reasons, some uh, supply at home. It's getting more and more expensive on that, uh, absolutely. So this is... Uh, um, bumping uh, economic growth on, on that one. Um, this is the same bumps you see, like globalization went a bit far on that um, to have just-in-time delivery and uh, very strict supply change. Since Corona, we're trying to reduce it. And of course, this reduction comes to cost. Uh, the free dividend which we faced before is now reduced. And therefore, economic growth uh, will be uh, um, impacted negatively. But this is like a phenomenon we see in the US, in Canada, uh, as well as in Europe. Uh, side effect is that Americans come to Europe. Uh, for example, I think 10% of Italian real estate uh, um, um, uh, selling selling nice villas at the Largo Maggiore and, uh, and other fancy places are now from Americans, right? So Americans come to retire because it's still cheap in Europe. Who would have thought, eh? Third world economies in Europe. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But um, let's keep it real here for a second. Everybody's, or everybody, like leading banks are sort of forecasting double digit inflation rates in the Eurozone, also in the UK. Uh, one bank even went as far as saying, well, we're going to have 22% inflation in the UK fairly, fairly soon um, because of the, the energy cost mostly contributing to that, of course, on top of labor cost. Um, 
I asked you before, like, I think it's an interesting way to look at it is energy versus monetary policies. Like how much can the monetary policies keep the energy policies in check or try to make up for the mistakes we're making on the energy policy side? Do you see like an equilibrium at some point? Because as you said, we can't raise to 10% interest rates. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is uh, um, the, the target rates of the central banks reflecting in the market. That's for one. Uh, but mostly you need to see that uh, this uh, inflation uh, is a bit different than the, the textbook inflation uh, uh, that we normally talk about. Like uh, when we have like a demand-based uh, um, inflation and the spiral between the wages and other costs in the economy, uh, you have to, to raise interest rate to cool down economic activity that is too fast, too high, and then come back to, uh, in, uh, to the equilibrium here. This situation we are in here is supply side driven. It is uh, faced because uh, um, oil and other energies and other materials are uh, supplied at a lower, um, a lower level, therefore at a lower um, amount. Therefore, the prices uh, are increasing uh, and therefore inflation is rising, but you can't only on the secondary side uh, punish this uh, situation with, uh, with rising interest rates. It's like a double uh, whammy. It's like cooling down the economy that was growing not so fast at all. Uh, and now with rising interest rates, um, basically uh, you give it to the, the, the death punch, on the sucker punch. Um, I think it's not so much the commodity side here that is uh, relevant and the energy uh, that you have to conquer, but uh, the, the debt bubble. Yeah, when uh, in another interview we talked about that uh, the global debt, uh, the public debt bubble, um, doesn't matter if it's Corona, if it's a global financial crisis, is it green energy revolution, green bonds? Uh, governments find always a different excuse in brackets to uh, to get into more debt, and this debt bubble is growing uh, out of hand, and the growing out of hand debt bubble is only uh, only manageable with low to negative interest rates. So therefore, this thesis either limits the amount of uh, interest rate hike that we can see in the future, because otherwise, uh, first of all, governments uh, of Spain, Italy, Portugal, Greece uh, will face the first difficulties on that. They already would if uh, uh, European Central Bank wouldn't help them on the emergency buying side. But after this, also Germany and other more industrialized and developed countries will face more difficulties um, in supporting their uh, social uh, social programs uh, when uh, an interest rates are too high and you then need to service your debt positions. So I think the debt bubble that we see here is much higher level to, to conquer than uh, the shorter term version of like the mismanagement of European energy politics. Very interesting. Okay. How do you see it, everything playing out then? Like in, in the short to midterm as well, like let's, let's talk six months, but also 12 months. Like what, what do you see happening? And uh, like they're, they're called black swans for a reason, but do you see anything like, like, do you, do you have an idea what the black swan could be that brings the whole like bubble to burst? Yeah, the first is the gray elephant uh, on the on the energy side. I mean, this is hardly to over, uh, overlook. Uh, so it's the first uh, effort is to come uh, clearly through the winter. And uh, most countries are uh, trying to uh, introduce uh, taxes, special taxes on, on energy, windfall profit taxes uh, to, to finance this uh, on, on the side to give money to uh, the citizens to, to uh, keep through the situation. First of all, um, the situation in the near term must be affordable. And second, uh, energy must be supplied so that nobody is freezing to death in Europe, right?
right? It would be a catastrophe on that to see uh, like a uh, region like this depending on, on natural gas and, and oil on, on that side. Uh, looking further ahead, like six months, 12 months and, and longer, I mean, we have a huge transition going on also in regard to the target to be, uh, for example, climate neutral uh, European Union in 2050. So therefore, we have a lot of um, tracks to lead in the right direction. For example, looking at the metals market, look at the Dr. Copper again, looking at the smaller metal markets and putting the tracks um, to, to the right developments. So you need to, to uh, uh, spend money now, and now you need to spend it in, the, in a smart way uh, and not to, for solving short-term uh, uh, problems of that. But the big elephant, no, that's not the gray one, but the big father of this elephant, the big debt bubble on that, um, this is very hard to, uh, to, to conquer. And I think uh, I would like to quote here Mario Draghi, who said uh, a while ago that nobody could be like very freely translated nobody can be fooled enough to think that this money is ever paid back it's just about how it's managed and how it's uh, this debt situation is rolled forward yeah, absolutely like i'm not I, I don't see any other let's say southern european countries paying us back quite honestly like um although as germans i think i've read an article somewhere that we've been actually making money on lending money because we've been borrowing it from the EU for like a percent or some even lower mm -hmm. and been lending it to Greece and Italy for like 3%. So uh, I think we've been arbitrage, uh, arbitraging quite well there as Germans. Yeah, true. When you look at 2010 and the sovereign debt crisis that uh, the most of the exposure has been in France and in, in Germany anyhow. So rescuing Greek uh, on the debt position was basically self-interest. But uh, as my Canadian friends uh, and business partner took it, I think the, the Germans are on that side uh, at this level, so Aust and in this Austrian policy, um, that the Germans are the only nation in Europe that is still thinking that uh, uh, German government debt somehow needs to be paid back at a certain while. So I, I think Italians are much more clever on that one because we realize it's not possible anyhow. And I think Germany will come to this conclusion. Uh, and maybe this is uh, the dot uh, what we are looking for for the black, uh, black elephant. Yeah, good, good point, actually, because I think Germany's debt to GDP ratio is only at 69%, I think. I think it was below 70% last I checked, while the US is, I think, at 130. Japan is at mm -hmm. 260, 270. Um, that, that's quite high. So we got ways to go in Germany. We got some financial leverage. What do you think? <laughs> so in regard to massive criteria, Germany needs to leave the European Union because the government debt is above the 60%, right? I think so. Yeah. Oh, are, are we leaving yet? I don't know. We're having a referendum or something? No, I don't think so. Hmm. So, uh, and to, to discuss if it would be uh, better with or without, but anyhow, about the target uh, money that uh, all the other countries are owing to Germany, uh, it wouldn't work anyhow. So basically, it's, uh, it's a community of countries uh, we, uh, with, uh, with the same fate and uh, with uh, politics thing to sort things out. And for example, the goal to become climate neutral in 2050 um, if it's done in the right perception, if we're setting the right tracks, uh, it's a fantastic one, right? That it's uh, needed um, that our planet uh, faces uh, the challenges uh, looking at from, from climate change and other, uh, other things. Yeah. Um, to sort of conclude here, maybe, Torsten, and to put a bow around it, like, how are you allocating assets now, like, in the next six months? Like, how are you protecting your portfolio, your clients' portfolios? Um, are you shifting money around uh, into other asset classes that you hadn't done before? Um, are you looking into getting into new asset classes that you haven't owned? Really curious how you're playing the next few months here. In a, in a short answer, very, very careful, Kai. <laughs> no, but uh, to allocate money, 
from my, I'm, I'm, my star sign is a Libra, so I'm a balanced person. This reflects also in, uh, in uh, good diversification. You need uh, different asset classes. You need uh, a different, uh, different asset to counter uh, um, the, uh, the, the losses that you see in, in other asset classes. So the special situation in 2022 is that bonds and equities both are punished. So commodities are helping on that one. I think the precious metal is still a very cheap hedge looking forward. So uh, in, in regard to that, um, I played very conservative, have uh, uh, still very low exposure to, to bonds. I'm not looking for increasing risks on the bond side to put um, too much money in emerging market or in high yields. But I think in the overall bond situation, uh, bonds government bonds are down 20% year to date, for example. Uh, it is interesting to look for, uh, start looking at European denominated bonds because still if a currency goes another 10-15%, uh, I think there's a counter counter uh, movement to that that we see uh, not only the 3.5% of uh, running yields, but also maybe 10-15% on the currency side. And I trust here European uh, uh, European currency more than the, uh, some of the emerging market and local currencies. So that's about uh, the bond side. I would have the exposure quite small. I see a little bit more interesting chances to counterweight uh, the risks on the bond side on real estate still, uh, especially in Switzerland, because prices are probably not uh, rising uh, that high, but uh, they have like a, a briefer. But this uh, briefer is not reflected in the performance of uh, public traded uh, real estate funds uh, that are down like 15 to 20 percent. Uh, so this is a mismatch and perception of how um, high interest rates are going uh, coming to be. And on the equity side, I would be selective, uh, looking at high dividend uh, paying stocks on that one with uh, uh, industries that are not very much uh, uh, dependent on the economic cycle um, on the one side. But on the other side, I would look at some of the, the techs that you're always looking at because you want to have these fancy growth stocks like Amazon, Apple and Co. But now they're starting to trade in the right direction at the right uh, at the right price, and this is uh, something uh, you don't have uh, much. And of course, um, because uh, we have uh, like two uh, focused areas: the precious metal and the crypto side. Uh, cryptos is an emerging asset class that needs to be allocated uh, at least at a small stage um, to to uh, to portfolios. It's helping in the short run uh, with, um, because of its high volatility and high return uh, on the expected side. And the second on the commodities. I mentioned gold as a, as a hedge, it's cheap, but overall the commodities, uh, you need to have a diversified uh, investment in commodities. And as this was your uh, first initial comment on that, it's not only copper, uh, you need to have it all. You need to have energy, you need to have the metals and the agricultures. Absolutely. Fantastic closing closing remarks there, Torsten. I really appreciate your time. It's great to have a professor of economics come on the program and explain to us a little bit what is going on and uh, how to position yourself and maybe what you see as uh, the straw that breaks the camel's back here as well. And it's, everything is so fragile. I'm expecting news every every moment that the system is falling apart, to be honest. So it sounds a bit doom and gloom, but there's so many factors weighing on our financial and economic systems right now that uh, it feels like we could break any. Right. My pleasure, Kai, and uh, it's uh, good to talk like uh, with substance and not in the uh, usual greed and fear uh, uh, perception. Like, do it now, or it will be too late, right? Exactly. <laughs> like, no, like, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> but Torsten, you also got a couple books out. Um, I know you have a couple copies sitting next to you, and you got a new book coming out in uh, December, January as well in the winter. 
<laughs> right, thanks for that one. No, I'm, I'm very glad Tulips to Bitcoin made it uh, uh, as an international bestseller now, uh, being published first in uh, in Texas um, from the uh, from the US version, now being translated into uh, seven uh, seven languages. The last one, I'm pretty proud to say, uh, now also available in Chinese next to the next to the Russian one, um, coming from from. This little fellow here, it's not only a super cover, but it's covering uh, the development uh, from uh, from uh, commodity markets to uh, to strategic metals, to battery metals, but also to the, the crypto side. And uh, in January, it will be uh, my pleasure to also to introduce my new book. It's the fourth one. Um, the title is, I haven't seen it in the media yet, um, Games of Greed. And it's covering like white collar crimes uh, cross through uh, financial and the normal sector. Basically, Main Street to Wall Street, from uh, Silicon Valley to uh, Las Vegas, uh, from rogue traders like uh, uh, Nick Leeson and Jerome Cabiel to uh, other frauds like the uh, Triple M pyramid in Russia to Operation Carbosh in Brazil uh, and to other scandals. Uh, uh, what we've seen recently, uh, not only on Wall Street, but also on Main Street, to see the different phases of greed. I, I think it's uh, highly entertaining on that one. Games of greed, white collar crimes. I think I've found our YouTube t uh, title here. So we might, might might have to use that. Fantastic. Torsten, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. I hope to see you in the fall at one of the many mining conferences that are happening here in, in Europe. And uh, good, good to catch up. Thank you so much. And uh, everybody else, thank you so much for tuning in. This was SF Live. We were joined by Professor Dr. Thorsten Denning. He's a uh, professor of economics and also the CIO of Asset Management Switzerland AG. Feel free to reach out to him anytime. I'll put a link to his website in the show notes here below. So if you feel like uh, you, you need to either uh, send, send some money to Switzerland or just want some solid investment advice from him, just make sure to reach out. He's fantastic. And uh, make sure to follow us, of course, here on YouTube. Hit that like and subscribe button and leave a comment. What are you thinking is going to happen what do you think is the straw that breaks the camel's back really curious to hear from you and uh, thanks so much for tuning in and uh, of course we'll be back with more